0: listening to the Thornapple Valley Church podcast. Thank you for joining us. Our hope is for you to be encouraged and to connect with God during this message. If you'd like to know more about Thornapple Valley Church, visit tbcweb.com. Before we get started, I want to give a shout out to my friends, my new friends in Middleville. I've been the interim campus pastor there for about a month now, and I tell you, I am impressed with these people. The the staff is amazing. Everybody that I've met there is just amazing. I think it's entirely possible that Middleville could be the best of all the TVC campuses. You know, I, I, I mean, I may be biased, and I, I could be wrong, but I'm, I'm just saying. You know. And then I want to give a shout out to my friends in Delton. Um, <laughs> this last winter, I had the opportunity and the honor to do. Uh, Memorial service for one of their guys, Mike Sobey. And I told them at the time they were the rowdiest group of people that I had ever preached to, and they got rowdier. They just. (laughs) And uh, so it was the most fun I have ever had at a memorial service. So shout out to Delton. And then I'm here in Hastings, and uh, you know, I have three grandchildren, and my oldest granddaughter was saying to my wife, I'm your favorite, right? You love me the best. And Diane, in her infinite wisdom, goes, Honey, I've loved you the longest. The first time I preached here in Hastings, you guys were meeting in the Grange. So that tells you how long we've been friends, even if you didn't know it. And I've been friends with Jeff more than 40 years. So it's a great honor to be here. Um, Let's get this started in the prescribed manner, okay? Hi, welcome to this meeting of Stupid Taxpayers Anonymous. And you say, (laughs) there you go. (laughs) Now, just to make sure that we're all on the same page, stupid tax is when you had the chance to learn and you ignored it. And then after having acted foolishly because you chose not to learn, you have to pay the price. You have to pay the stupid tax, whatever that is, embarrassment, money, pain, you name it. There's lots of different ways that we pay stupid tax. And uh, that's, by definition, stupid tax. So um, we're going to talk to you tonight about Jonah. Now one of the arguments for the inspiration of scripture is that if the Bible was just written by men they would make they would have made their heroes as perfect as possible but when we look at the people that are whose stories are included in scripture we see them warts and all So let me just tell you the story of Jonah, and then we'll come back and unpack it a bit, see what we can learn from Jonah's mistakes that'll keep us from paying more stupid tax. The book of Jonah opens up uh, with the Lord telling Jonah to go to Nineveh. Nineveh is today the city of Mosul in Iraq, and his commission is to proclaim God's judgment on that city. Instead, Jonah takes off in the opposite direction. He he goes to Joppa and he catches a boat to Tarshish. He goes down in the boat and he falls asleep and a huge storm comes up. The sailors get more and more desperate. They're praying to their gods. They're throwing cargo overboard to lighten the boat. And in all of this, they go down in the hold and they find Jonah asleep, it sort of reminds me of the story of Jesus, right? He's asleep on a pillow in the back of the boat. The disciples are freaking out because of the storm. Lord, don't you care that we drown? And Jesus wakes up, says to the storm, peace be still, and there's immediately a calm. But that didn't happen in Jonah's story. The sailors have done everything that they know to do. They're out of options. And so they cast lots to see who is the culprit that has caused the storm because it's obviously a supernatural kind of storm. They cast the lots. The lot indicates that Jonah is the culprit. So they want to know what he's done. And he told them he's a Hebrew, he worshiped the God of heaven who created everything. And he'd already told them he was running away from the Lord, so now they're really scared. So they ask him what they should do to make the storm stop, and he replies, Well, throw me in the sea, and it'll become calm again. I know that this terrible storm is all my fault. There's no mention of Jonah praying at any point in this part of the story. Well, the sailors don't want to throw him overboard, but the storm just gets worse and worse until they finally think we don't have any choice. And they throw him overboard and pray that God won't be mad at them for Jonah's murder, right? God won't blame them for his death. And the storm stops immediately, which results in the sailors offering a sacrifice to God and vowing to serve him. Now, the Scripture says... In Jonah one seventeen, Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah, and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. Now from this belly of the great fish, Jonah prays a beautiful prayer of repentance and praise, and the Lord orders the fish to spit Jonah out onto the beach. And then the Lord tells him, You're still called to go to Nineveh. And this time... Jonah goes to Nineveh, he preaches, and the people of Nineveh, from the king on down to the lowliest beggar, repent. They believe what Jonah's saying, they repent, they stop all the evil stuff they're doing, and wait, hoping to see that God would see their repentance and change his mind. And that's what happened. And Jonah was very upset that God had changed his mind and tells him in Jonah 4 2 and 3 Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? that's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. The Lord replied, is it right for you to be angry about this? So Jonah goes to the east side of town and builds himself a little shelter and sits down under it to see what's going to happen. Now God arranges for this beautiful leafy vine to grow up over the shelter to give Jonah some shade from the sun. And Jonah's very grateful. But then God sends a worm to eat through the stem of the vine so the plant withers and then he sends a blistering sun, a scorching wind to blow on Jonah till he almost faints and he he wishes to die again. And then God says, in effect, this, Jonah, you're all upset about the death of a plant. I'm concerned about a great city of 120,000 people. I care about the people. So let's stop and just unpack this a little bit. Let's see what we can learn from Jonah and the Ninevites. First, let's look at the story from God's perspective. I found if I can see things the way God sees them, it saves me from paying a lot of stupid tax. So God is looking for somebody to partner with him to reach the city of Nineveh. God is always looking for for partners. It started in the Garden of Eden. God could have just spoken the word and the garden would have been all cultivated. Everything would have been cool. But he chose to partner with Adam and Eve, right? He gave them dominion of the earth and then commissioned them to take care of the garden. We see the same thing all through the scriptures. God wants to get his people out of slavery in Egypt. So what does he do? He partners with a guy named Moses, God wants to get his people out of the desert and into the promised land. What does he do? He partners with a guy named Joshua. God wants to deal with an enemy of Israel who has a giant for a champion. What does he do? He partners with a kid named David. In the New Testament, after Jesus is resurrected and ascended, God wants to see his kingdom advanced on the earth. So what does he do? He partners with Jesus' disciples. Mark 16:20 in the NIV says this. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. Folks, God wants to partner with people to see his kingdom come and his will be done on the earth. So here's the question, the first question for you tonight. What does he want to partner with you to do? Lonnie, you mean he might actually want to partner with me to get something? Yes! I'm glad you caught that. That's the whole first point. God wants to partner with us. Now, One of the things that Jonah had right was his concept of God. He said, we saw it earlier, I knew that you're a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry, filled with unfailing love. You're eager to turn back from destroying people. And Unfortunately today, many folks, even church folks, don't understand that's who God is. Some years ago, I was at a funeral for a little baby who had died and the pastor bless his heart I'm assuming that he was doing the best he could but he says something like this God needed a new flower in his heavenly garden and so he reached down and he plucked this little baby to be a flower in his heavenly garden I wanted to go up there and punch him out God is not a baby killer. He gets blamed for a lot of stuff that he had nothing to do with. A friend says it like this read this with me, would you? We got it up there. We'll get it up there eventually. Here it comes. Okay, I'm just going to tell you, you can't read it. God is good. The devil is bad. Let's not get confused. Read it with me now, all right? God is good. The devil is bad. Let's not get confused. Now, I grew up in the church, okay? My parents got married on Saturday night, and they were in church on Sunday morning. If the doors were open, we were there. And there are many things that I'm very grateful for about my background growing up in church. But there were also some things that I had to unlearn from my background. One of them was my concept of who God is. Nobody ever said it exactly this way, but somehow I kind of pictured God as an old curmudgeonly sort of guy with a long gray beard who had made a list of everything that was fun and stamped that whole list, sin. He was leaning over the balcony of heaven looking for anybody that's having a good time. Read that, sinning. And he's got a bucket of thunderbolts over here. And if he finds you having a good time, he's liable to just whack you with one of his thunderbolts. On top of that, I had seen missionary films. I don't know if you've ever seen missionary films, but I had seen missionary films. And so I had this idea that if I ever really gave my life to God, he would make me be a missionary to Africa. And I had this picture of me in khakis with a pith helmet and a machete hacking trails through the jungle to eat monkey meat. This was not my idea of a good time. So the thought of giving my life to a God who was ticked off at me and wanted me to be a missionary in Africa was something that was just not going to happen. Thank God for Jesus. Because one of the reasons Jesus came was to show us who God is. He said in John 14, 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And then we flip it real quick right over to Colossians 1:15, and Paul says this, He, Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what God looks like, you look at Jesus. The problem is that in our culture, we've even got that messed up. I think it was Will Ferrell playing Ricky Bobby who prayed to dear sweet baby Jesus. To many people today, Jesus is some kind of a hippie looking guy with a sheep over his shoulder. Well, he does love us with an everlasting love and he is kind and understanding and compassionate. But he's not somebody to mess with. Dear sweet baby, Jesus grew up and he's now the King of kings and Lord of lords. I wouldn't have want to have been one of the money changers that were cheating people in the temple when Jesus made a whip of cords and turned over their tables and drove them out of the temple. And his best friend John records in the book of Revelation an experience he had with Jesus after his resurrection and ascension he talks about seeing him. He says his eyes were like flames of fire and his voice was like waterfalls. His face was shining like the sun. And John, who was his best friend, fell at his feet as if he were dead. Jesus is not somebody to mess with, but he does love us with an eternal love. A pastor that I like says it like this God is in a good mood. I don't know about you, but that helps me. It helps me want to be in His presence. For me, this change in my understanding of who God really is happened when my family moved to a different church. And I had a different Sunday school teacher. This lady, this was very unusual. Somehow she had experienced the love of God. Now, this woman had been divorced which in the church that I grew up in, was very close to the unpardonable sin. And then she got remarried. And that's even closer to the unpardonable sin. And on top of that, she was beautiful and her new husband was rich and good-looking. How she, how, somehow, in all that mess, she had experienced forgiveness and the love of God. And she made certain that every Sunday, no matter what the lesson was about, somewhere in there, she would tell us kids, God loves you. He knows all your secrets. He knows everything about you that nobody else knows. And He loves you anyway. Every week, God loves you. He knows you. And He loves you. He loved me so much that he sent Jesus to pay the penalty for all my sins so that I could experience his love and become part of his family. And It took a while, but eventually got, that got through my thick head. And I began to realize that if he loved me like that, I could trust him with my life. I realized that if he loved me that way, and if his plan was for me to go to Africa, then I would never be really fulfilled until I was in Africa. Because that would be what he created me to do. And anything else that I did other than what he created me to do would be like hooking a plow up to the back of a Corvette. It just wouldn't work because that's not what they're designed to do. So once I realized that, I knelt down by my bed and I prayed a prayer that really doesn't sound very spiritual but in reality is. I just said, okay, God, you call the shots anything goes i'll go any place i'll say anything i'll do anything you want you just have to let me know for sure what it is that you want i'll tell you something happened on the inside of me when i prayed that prayer i began to experience a peace that i had never encountered before untied all the knots in my stomach it was amazing And it was the beginning of an actual relationship with God. And he didn't send me to Africa. He sent me to West Michigan. Now, I have been to a number of nations in Africa over the years and had a wonderful time every time. So, our first opportunity to change and avoid stupid taxes is to look at who we think God is. Do we see him as he really is, as a loving, caring, heavenly father, someone who's on our side? Is he in a good mood when you think about him, when you see him in your mind's eye? Or do you see him as angry and vengeful and out to get you? Can I suggest that it's really important, even foundational, to get your concept of who God is right? Well, Let's unpack Jonah's story a little bit more. Nineveh was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. It was one of the great cities of the ancient world. And Assyria was a great threat to Israel. The Assyrian army was known for its ruthlessness and for its great cruelty. They tortured and killed their prisoners in horrific ways. They were one of the first armies to use chariots. And they had iron weapons instead of bronze or tin weapons. The Assyrians were also the first ones when they captured a, a country. They were one of the first ones to take those captured people and transplant them over to another captured country and take those people and put them back into this captured country. Just as sort of an aside... This was the basis for the prejudice that the Jews of Jesus' day had against the Samaritans. Uh, Pastor Jeff talked about this a few weeks ago when he talked about the good Samaritans. The Assyrians had conquered Israel. They carried off the northern tribes, left just the poorest of the poor people there to take care of the land. And then they brought in people from another country and put them in the cities of Samaria. So those people then intermarried with the poor Jews that were left there in in Samaria, and they brought their religion and kind of mixed it with the Jewish religion, so they were sort of half-breeds that sort of worshipped God, but had some pagan stuff in there with it, and that's why the Jews of Jesus' day hated the Samaritans. So, back to Jonah. So, to Jonah... Nineveh was the capital city of Israel's greatest enemy. Now, it would seem to me that being sent to the capital city of your nation's greatest enemy to tell them that God was going to destroy him would be a good thing. But Jonah knew that if they repented, God would forgive them and change his mind about overthrowing the city. So instead of obeying, Jonah takes a ship and heads in the opposite direction. Maybe he thought if he didn't tell them, they wouldn't repent and God would just let them have it. Now listen to me now. You can have all kinds of good reasons for doing the wrong thing. Some of us are really good at this, finding good reasons to make it okay to do something that we know is wrong. When my kids were teenagers, I thought if they would put half as much energy into being obedient as they put into finding reasons it was okay to disobey, life would have been so much easier for all of us. (laughs) It usually doesn't matter why you do something stupid. You can have all kinds of good reasons but you still have to pay the stupid tax. So Jonah disobeyed God, and the stupid tax bill was heavy. And here's the deal. Not only did Jonah have to pay it, so did all the sailors, so did the owner of the cargo that got thrown overboard. It's important for us to realize that sometimes other people have to pay stupid taxes on the stuff that we do. So here's our second opportunity to change and to avoid stupid taxes. And that's to understand that God wants us to obey Him. Now, I don't know where you are in your spiritual journey, but this is really a key milestone in our journey with the Lord. Romans 10.9 says this, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you'll be saved. So what does that mean? Well, it means that if you believe God raised Jesus from the dead and then you make him the Lord of your life, you'll be saved. You give him the right to tell you what to do. You give your life to him for him to do whatever he wants to with it. You make a commitment to change and obey him. That's a scary prospect if you're not confident that he loves you and has your best interests at heart. I think it's hard for us as Americans. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. But we really need to break that pride in our lives and submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. Make him the boss of your life. It's the best decision you'll ever make. So here's our third opportunity to change and avoid stupid taxes. I used to think that God sent the fish to swallow Jonah to punish him. But the reality is that God sent the fish to save his life. He was giving him an opportunity to repent, to change his mind, to change his heart, to change his actions because God was still looking for him to partner with him to reach the people of Nineveh. And Jonah did repent, so the fish spit him out on dry land. So here's the question for us. Where do we need to change our hearts? Where do we need to change our minds, our actions? Here's something to think about. What do you think marinating in the digestive juices of a great fish for three days did for Jonah? Someone has suggested that it completely bleached his skin and his hair. So I thought I'd just do something to maybe help you picture this. Repent! I think that it's entirely possible that Jonah's ghostly appearance was, and the fact that he smelled like the inside of a fish, had a great deal to do with the Ninevites repenting. Thank God I don't have to wear that. See, sometimes stupid tax just keeps on giving. You pay and you pay and you think you're done, but the reverberations roll on and on. Sometimes you get to keep paying long after you think the tax should be done. Here's a final thing to think about. God wanted a partner. And eventually Jonah partnered with God to bring about the salvation of the city of Nineveh. But Jonah wasn't happy about it. Maybe it was his nationalism. Maybe it was he wanted to protect his country by seeing Nineveh destroyed. Maybe it was prejudice against Assyrians. But here's the deal. God was hoping that Jonah would not just obey him, but that he would also begin to think like God thinks and to love like God loves. So God gives him the, an object lesson. You remember the vine grows up to shade him and then the worm cuts it down and Jonah's con, concerned about the vine and God's concerned about the people. God was inviting Jonah to begin to think like he thinks and to love like he loves. Jesus shows us a progression of intimacy with his disciples. He begins by saying to his men in John 15, 14, you're my friends when you do the things that I command you. Not long ago, there was a popular Christian song that said, I am a friend of God. You Remember this one? I am a friend of God. I am a friend of God. He calls me friend. And I heard that. I wondered how many people that are singing this song and claiming to be God's friend really do what he commands them to do. Here's a practical, simple example from my life. A couple of months ago, I woke up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Now I probably got to bed about midnight that night. So this is an unusual thing. It's 4 o'clock in the morning. I wake up and the first thought in my mind is get up and pray. And I have this feeling like, remember Jesus said to the disciples, could you not tarry one hour? So the sense is I'm supposed to get up and pray for an hour. And so I rolled out of bed and got up and went to the living room and prayed for an hour. The problem was the next day the same thing happened. And it's been happening Between 3.45 and 5 o'clock, almost every day since then. And I'm faced with a choice every morning. Am I going to obey God or am I going to roll over and go back to sleep? I don't have a perfect record. (laughs) Jesus said, you're my friends if you do the things I command you. So Jesus starts with that. If you do my friends, you're my friends if you do what I tell you to do. But then he goes on to say in verse 15, I'm no longer calling you servants because servants don't understand what their master is thinking and planning. No, I've named you friends because I've let you in on everything I've heard from the Father. So they move from being just servants who blindly obey to being friends who understand and obey. Note the key word here is still obey. Then after the resurrection, in Matthew twenty eight ten, Jesus said to the women, don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they'll see me there. The disciples moved from being servants who obey to friends who understand and obey, and then to brothers. There's a whole new level of intimacy and authority in that relationship, and that's the progression that God was wanting to see in the life of Jonah, being Okay, you finally obeyed. It took you a fish ride. You finally obeyed. But I want you not just to obey. I want you to understand. And I want you to come into the family business, as it were. Jesus said, tell my brothers. So my question for you is this. What is God saying to you today? Are you like I was? Are you afraid to give your life to God because you don't understand that the essence of His being is love? Let me encourage you to open your heart. Ask Him to reveal His love to you so that you can respond. The Scripture says we love Him because He first loved us. If we haven't experienced His love, it's difficult to give our lives back to Him. Are you like Jonah at the beginning of his story, running from God? If that's you, I hate to tell you this, but there's a lot of stupid tax in your future if you're running from God. You need to stop. Don't run from Him. Run toward Him. Surrender. Are you like the people of Nineveh? Listening to God's Word and responding to it by changing your mind and changing your life? You avoid a lot of stupid tacks when you do that. Are you like Jonah at the end of his story? Being challenged by God to love people the way God loves them. Being invited to partner with him. To see his kingdom come and his will be done on the earth. I'll tell you, that's the key to a life of fulfillment and peace and joy. Would you just stand with me? Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I want to pray for you. And then when I finish the prayer... We'll go back into worship together. Shall we pray? Father, I pray for my friends here today, for my friends watching online. Lord, I ask you to give us all grace to respond to your love with a sincere commitment to obey. Give us grace to change the things in our lives that you don't like. Give us grace to love the people that you've put in our lives the way that you love them, Lord. Help us all to find the things that you want to partner with us to accomplish. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Thornapple Valley Church Podcast. If you found this message encouraging, we invite you to share it. For more information, visit Web dot com